Welcome to Rivers in the Desert International, a revival ministry dedicated to bringing the living waters of God's love to a hurting and dying world. It is our desire as you listen to the following message that the Holy Spirit will fill you afresh and that you would be ignited into a fervency for Jesus. This is the day to be filled with the knowledge of His glory as the waters cover the sea. God is doing something new on planet Earth today, and you and I have the great privilege to be a part of it. We love you. Be blessed. Second Peter, chapter 3, and verse 17. Of course, verse 15 of the same chapter speaks, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, and also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which some are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, my beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, beware. Flashing red lights there, it's in the imper imperative. Beware, lest you be carried away by the error of unprincipled men. Many times in flash floods, people will try to drive their car into a, a flooded street, not knowing how powerful the water is. They think the water is just moving just slightly, and many people drown because they drive into these rivers, these overflooded creeks and streams not knowing how fast their car can be carried away. And it's the same way in these last days, we must be on our guard, lest we be carried away by the error, the spirit of error we spoke about yesterday, of unprincipled men or men that do not have character. And you fall from your own steadfastness, you apostate, you fall away. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus, hallelujah. To him be the glory, both now and in the day of eternity. Amen. So I was studying these things, and the Lord began to open up my heart. And let's turn to chapter 1 of Second Peter and verse 16. Because I'm at the point right now, brothers and sisters, I, I appreciate books and anointed CDs. I appreciate all the things that we have. We go to the Christian bookstore, and I don't minimize that at all. But I just feel in my heart right now just to read my Bible. Hallelujah. <laughs> Get a jug of water and just spend time reading my Bible. Amen. And let the Bible interpret itself. Let the Bible unfold itself. Amen? Glory to God. In verse 16 it says this. This is the last things Peter says before he lay aside his earthly tabernacle and goes on to be with the Lord. Because he says in verse 15 his departure is coming very soon. In verse 16, we do not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. Hallelujah. That's what we want to see, isn't it? Yeah. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So what happened was Israel's entire theology was based on the Sinai, the mountain experience they had. Everything was birthed out of that. And then Jesus came, and they were looking for a, a reigning hero because 
There's two Messiah types in the Old Testament. There's Messiah ben David, which is the Messiah son of David, reigning king, coming in the, you know, after the lineage of David, who would, you know, the government rest on his shoulders, all those wonderful things. Amen. There was a second messianic figure called Messiah ben Yosef, or Messiah's son of Joseph. He was a suffering servant, rejected by his brothers. And so the, the rabbi said there must be two messiahs. Wrong. One messiah, two different comings. He came as son of Joseph. He came as a reed shaking the wind. We, you know, we did nothing. We did really loved after him. He was a man of sorrows, shame. Isaiah 52, 50, 53. Let me tell you something, folks. When Jesus came, he came camouflaged in human flesh. They didn't know who he was. When he cast out devils, they said, we know who you are. And he said, shek it. That's how you treat the devil. Shek it in Hebrew means shut up. <laughs> when you're in Israel and you hear the cats fighting in the trash can at night, you open up your lattice and say, shek it. <laughs> <You'll hear> the... <laughs> That's what he said to the devils. Hallelujah. Because they knew who he was. And so they were looking for a reigning king. Jesus came camouflaged in human flesh as a, as a suffering servant. And then he took J Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration, was, which was Mount Hermon in the north. And they went up, and now Jesus is about to have another theophany, a visitation of God, which is going to change the entire paradigms of what they think. And he's there on the holy mountain, and there's Moses and Elijah appears with them the embodiment of the prophets and the law, speaking with Jesus. And they, Peter says, we saw him transfigured in all his glory. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, isn't your soul thirsty for that? Hallelujah. And as he's transfigured in all of his glory, Peter rebounds back to what he's learned. He says, okay, we're on a mountain, okay, God's doing something here. The glory's here. Okay, last time they gave us architectural blueprints to build a, a tent of meeting. Okay, we'll build three now. One for you, Jesus. One for Moses. One for Elijah. And God, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. That's the first commandment. Shmai, listen. Listen. And they were there shaking. Their knees were having fellowship with one another. But Peter says something here in verse 19, which is incredible. And we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. What Peter is saying is even though we've had a visitation and saw the majestic glory of God on the mountaintop, we have a more sure prophetic word than that event. See, we can run after signs and wonders and miss it. Many times we look for the spectacular, we miss the supernatural. Peter, listen, God has given him the revelation of Jesus being the Messiah. He's, upon him that revelation, the church is going to be built. He's leaving, folks. Verse 15 says here, he's going on. He's transferring the leadership, the baton of the church to the next generation. And he's telling them here, even though we had a theophany, a visitation, a God's self-disclosure, the most incredible event, we saw Jesus in all of his glory, we have something that's more sure in this hour. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And what he's saying here, the more sure word we have is the prophetic scriptures. 
At this time, the New Testament was in the process of being written. So Peter is saying, what we have now, the, the, the text of the Old Testament prophets, is a morning star to guide our path right now. And he goes on and says here, verse 20, but know this, that first of all, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. That's what kind of gets underneath my fingernails, so to speak, you know? Kind of rubs me wrong is this prophetic movement that's going on. I thank God for it, but man, they're flaky sometimes. They just prophesy now the creative right brain brain juices. I mean, tissue. I mean, <laughs> you know, you go in some of these meetings and it's like, you know, line up and get your number for a prophetic word, you know? And I don't, I mean, there is real. There's the real thing, you know? But, but what about this word speaking to us? Hallelujah. Yeah. Glory to God. In Israel, in the desert, certain times of year, the, uh, the planet Venus will come up, and it's called the morning star, because when it comes up, it is so bright that you begin to break camp. You think, hey, you know, dawn is here. But as it comes up over the horizon, you're like, oh, it's just, it's just a planet coming up. What Peter is saying here is that the prophetic scriptures of the Old Testament are the morning star. When you start to see them being fulfilled in this hour, guess what's coming next? The sun itself. And he goes on and says that this scripture is not one's own interpretation for no prophecy of scripture ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This word moved here is the same Greek word used of the Sirocco, the northeasterner that came in and drove Paul's ship to be shipwrecked on the island of Malta. So these men just sit and decide, you know, they drink some eggnog, you know, or had some, you know, fermented wine, they go, and it had this revelatory experience of Ezekiel, you know, the, the wheel within the wheel, and wrote it down. No! They were driven as by a forceful wind to write these things down. Whew! And so, of course, I think one of the greatest morning star passages, what's happening of the Old Testament right now, is the three R's of Ezekiel. Number one, the return of the Jewish people back to their homeland. Number two, the restoration of the land. And right coming on the heels of that is going to be the redemption of the people themselves. Hallelujah. We're between that second R and third R right now. Israel is one of the largest exporters of fruit worldwide, of flowers, hallelujah, of uh, most of your Intel computer chips were made in Israel. It's incredible what's happening in the small land the size of New Jersey. But I want to move into a, an area of morning star passages of scripture that I believe will give us light for our lives. Glory to God. And so I started praying about these things. I was saying, Lord, you know, I want to know what, what, what are you doing? You know, I don't want to hear what somebody says. They prophesy this, you know, and one major minister prophesied about Y2K, never happened. You know, and then he gets up in his pulpit the next day and says, well, you know, God told me to tell you that you passed the test, you know, and moves on. I mean, like, and so I know without a vision we perish. Would you like, like to get in the mail, you know, a, a receipt saying you paid $10 for my Y2K book and uh, it didn't happen, so here's your refund? I mean, yeah. <laughs> turn with me to, I think, a present tense morning star passage, which is the book of Habakkuk. Go to Matthew and make a left-hand turn five blocks and you'll find it. Go to Matthew, turn back five books, and you're going to find a small little book called Habakkuk, which I believe is the morning star light 
on our path right now, what God's about to do. Ooh, there seems to be just a teaching anointing here, so we'll just flow with that. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 1. The oracle which Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. Let me just give you a little, paint a little picture of the background here. Habakkuk was a 8th century prophet. He began to prophesy during the reign of Judah. God was sending in, Samaria was destroyed in 721. Now it's 567, 68, that time period. God's sending down from the north, swift as an eagle, fierce, a people called the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. And they're coming in to destroy the city of Jerusalem. The words of Jeremiah are being fulfilled. The people are going to be put away in captivity for 70 years. Later, Daniel's going to get up and say, hey, where's the beef? He begins to pray, and they get released. Hallelujah. But before then, God's sending them to Babylon. And this is the event. Habakkuk's about to hear something. And verse 5, it says this, Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished and wonder. Because I'm doing something in your days, you would not believe it, even if it were told you. this is talking about the destruction, but this is what I call the yes but not yet of God's word. Meaning, the Old Testament, brothers and sisters, don't be scared of it. Read it. The law, thank God for the law. Amen? But the sacrificial law has been done away. The book of Hebrews shows us that Jesus was the final sacrifice. Amen? Amen. However, there's whole segments of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Habakkuk that are in the process of being fulfilled right now. They spoke to that people group then, but they're also speaking to us now. And so it says here, he's about to do something. You would not even believe it if he were told you. I believe that's where we're at right now. I believe we're at a place where it's not even yet even entered our brain tissue what God's about to do. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. I mean, it's beyond God reserves the sovereignty of doing something new we've never seen before. And it's about to happen. And so the prophet hears that God's about to do something new. And so in chapter 2 and verses 1, this is what he does. Chapter 2 and verse 1, I will stand on my guard post. I will station myself on the rampart. I'll keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. When you hear, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, God's about to do something beyond our brain tissue. God's about to do something so new that what we need to do is find a guard post. Find a place to station ourselves and start spending time with God. I'm telling you, hallelujah. Woo! And what you're doing, you're coming to him with an attitude saying, Lord, correct me, reprove me, change me. Does it say how long he was in that place? If you can't find a place in your house or an apartment piece, you don't want to wake up the kids, get in your car and drive out to the bush or something. I mean, soundproof your closet. I mean, do something. Hallelujah. Find time now to spend time with the Lord and position yourself and marinate in His presence. Hallelujah. For one thing, you're looking to hear a word from heaven, either it's coming off the pages or He's going to speak it to you, a word of correction. 
And it says here, how am I reply when I am proved? Then the Lord answered me. This is beautiful construction, sentence construction in Hebrew here. Then the Lord answered me after I was corrected. Hallelujah. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision, inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. Notice the fresh vision of what God's going to do for us to run with comes after a season of correction. You know, Jesus was filled with the Spirit, and the Bible says very strong that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tested, Mark chapter 1. The word there, drove, is not that Jesus was led. It was he was driven by the Spirit to be tested in the wilderness. And then he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So there's fillings of the Spirit, testings, and then empowerment. And the word there is ikbalo, that the Spirit cast him out into the wilderness. Ikbalo is the same word used, in my name you shall drive out demons. It's a forceful word, meaning a lot of times in these meetings, God's Spirit will come and begin to fill us, amen? And then he'll drive us to a place where we have to deal with an issue. Amen? Smile. Come on, folks. Hallelujah. It's good. This is good news. And he's relentless about it. And if we'll go through that season, folks, you can go 40 seconds or 40 years. It's up to you. It's up to you. You make the adjustments in your heart or God is going to hem you in. Hallelujah. And you're going to be miserable until you make those adjustments. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision, inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. It will certainly come. Behold, us for the proud one. His soul is not right within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Wow. The testings I'm talking about is not car wrecks and poverty. I am talking about... Iron sharpens iron. And the sparks that come off that is the spark of, of this revival fire. <laughs> Woo! I've been asked the Lord, Lord, what is the vision? We travel all over Europe and, and North America. And I've been asking the Lord, what is the vision? Because we go to many churches and we'll see this vision. You know, it's time for the vision. Write it on tablets. We'll see a big banner across the top of the church, whether it's be a building fund or reaching your city or, you know, building an orphanage or whatever. And I want to say those are all fine visions, but those are micro visions for each local church. There is a macro vision. And I believe we'll hook up into this macro vision. Hallelujah. All these things will be added to us. What is the macro vision of God we need to run with? Verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Oh! That's it right there, folks. Now, the Cambridge University Press translated powerful. They actually translated the earth will be filled by knowing the glory of the Lord. It's actually an infinitive in construction, meaning the earth is going to fill not by knowledge of the glory, but by knowing the glory. 
This Hebrew word is da'at. In Hebrew, D-A-A-T, da'at, best way to transliterate it. Da'at is a word not for information or knowledge. It is a word for intimacy. First time it was used was Adam and Eve. Adam knew Da'at, his wife. They knew each other intimately. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Hosea, my people perish for the lack of knowledge or Da'at, intimacy. Now we have 26 Bible translations. We've got at our fingertips great CDs. and We have so much information in this hour. But what about intimacy? It says the, the birds of the sea disappear, the spotted owl, the salmon disappear for the B.C. waters, etc. Hosea chapter 4, because there's no knowledge of God in the land. Somebody get hold of the Greenpeace people and tell them it's not about saving the whales. It's about getting intimate with God. And so we see here in the scriptures that God wants to flood this earth with an intimate knowledge of his glory. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Psalm 72. We're going to see in the Old Testament scriptures that this is the definitive vision of the entire Bible. Psalm 72. These are the final words of King David. I like to read men and women of God last words. Hallelujah. <laughs> the final things they said before they departed. In verse 19, blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. The last thing King David says is the same thing. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 6 We'll notice at the surround sound of heaven. In heaven is a non-ending call. I call it the surround sound of heaven. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Kadosh, 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 holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the armies of heaven. The whole earth is full of his glory. So we see the very theme of heaven around the throne of God is the glory of God filling the earth. This was the final words of David. And this is the vision of the entire Bible. This is God's self-disclosure. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And we know by looking around that, of course, when the waves hit, they probably go, hallelujah. <laughs> the trees lift their hands. They worship God. All creation, everything that has breath, worships him, except one species called Homo sapien. So God's in the process of getting these mobile tabernacles filled with the knowledge of his glory. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. You're going to see a, a paradigm shift in Israel coming out of Egypt and about to enter the promised land. Numbers 13, actually we can start Numbers 14 verse 1 for the sake of time. Numbers 13 says this, 
Ten spies came back with a meathead report. Wait for everybody to get there. Numbers 14, verse 1. God says, okay, I position you. We're going to go up through Kadesh Barnea, up through the south country, up into Israel, the promised land. I want you to go up there and spy out the land and come back. Twelve spies went out. Ten came back with a bad report. The reason it was called an evil report was because they consider themselves grasshoppers in the sight of the inhabitants of the land. How soon they forgot about the Egyptian bodies being washed up on the seas of the, of the Red Shore. Uh, Red Sea Shore. Think about it. The most majestic army on planet Earth at that time, a world power. Their bodies dead. And Miriam dancing around them before that event with the tambourines. And just a matter of months later, they're coming up to a land of a bunch of small city-state kings a disorganized land bridge between Babylon and Egypt. They're coming in as a promised land, the land of their forefathers, and guess what? They came back with a bad report. You know why? Because they confessed the circumstances. And so in Numbers 14, verse 1, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and wept all that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bring us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives, our little ones become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. You know what Egypt represents? Predictable lifestyles. They didn't want to walk by faith anymore. They had to have their daytimer all planned out. We make so many bricks here, we do this, we do that. I don't want to return back to Egypt. Of course, Joshua and Caleb rose up, began to tear their clothes. And verse 10, but all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to the sons of Israel. I think one of the most difficult things is being in ministry is trying to get people to the next level. Get him out of the rut of a comfort zone. And get him to the next level, what God wants to do. Verse 11, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will those people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which are performed in their midst? So faith and trust in God is not produced by signs and wonders. We can see the heaven, we can see this ceiling ripped back like a, tin, you know, like a, like a, like a, a can of tomatoes, just ripped back. See the heavens, but that's not going to produce faith. And so they began to cry out. And God says, that's it. I'm going to start a new race through you, Moses. I'm going to liquidate these people. And Moses stands up in verse 19. Thank God he did. And he says, pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy loving kindness, just as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Hallelujah. Your prayers can stop the hand of God moving against the whole nation of Canada. Pardon Canada, Lord. And he can do it. Verse 20, so the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Here's God's vision, brothers and sisters. If we can understand the micro visions that each of us are called to, there is a macro. The macro is that God wants to flood this earth with the knowledge of his glory. Ooh, hallelujah. Glory 
Praise God. Oh, there's so much to talk about here. Go back to Habakkuk. Let's kick this open here. Back to Habakkuk chapter 2. Let's read this whole thing in a new light. Verse 1. I believe Habakkuk, the three chapters of Habakkuk, have done more for church history than incredible parts of the Old Testament. This small little book, hidden within this book, is the mustard seed of reformation for the entire New Testament. Hidden within this book is what fueled not just Paul's revelation, but Martin Luther going to the church at Wittenberg and knock on the door, nailing on the door the thesis, the just shall live by faith. It's all right in this context here. I will stand on my guard post, station myself on the rampart. I'll keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I'm reproved. Then the Lord answer me after a season of reproof. Record the vision. Inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. What's the vision? Verse 14 is the vision. That the knowledge, the intimate knowledge of God is going to fill the earth, this glory realm, as the waters cover the sea. This vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal. It will not fail, though it tarries. Wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. So the idea here of running with this vision. Behold us for the proud one. His soul is not right within him, but the righteous one shall live by his faith. So I began to study this, where Paul went off into the desert and didn't go up to Jerusalem, went off into Arabia for three years. And he came back with the revelation of the new covenant, the just shall live by faith. Romans 1, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10, the just shall live by faith. Turn with me to Hebrews 10. Let's see something here now. Hebrews 10. Boy, there's so much here. Let's start at verse 23. We could start at Genesis 1, we just don't have time. <laughs> Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He, is prom he, who, he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together as a habit of son, but encouraging one another as you see the day drawing near. What is the day drawing near? It's the visitation of the glory of God. Jesus has already come. Before he returns, we're going to see visitations of the literal glory cloud upon cities, upon assemblies, talk about this in a little bit. Verse 26, if we go on sinning willfully, that's what we talked about yesterday. Avon. You know what really concerns me is as we travel is that even for myself, you can operate in an anointing but still have the character of a junkyard dog. <laughs> and you sit there and you're just like, what's going on here, you know? And when you get to a place of the glory of God, the glory will either harden you or soften you. There's a division that happens. 
And it says, when we come to the knowledge of the truth, look at verse 26, we go on sinning willfully, meaning full of our own will, after receiving the uh, knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled on the foot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who has said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of a living God. So what's happening here, here's Jewish believers that, you know, some of them have probably already seen Jesus uh, resurrected, have, have seen the Old Testament saints resurrected in the old city. Can you imagine running around the corner, little boy going off to get falafels for his mom, comes around the corner and says, Mama, Mama, you won't believe what I saw. What was it, Avi? What was it, Abraham? I saw David, and next to him was Josiah. I mean, can you imagine the saints being resurrected when Jesus was resurrected? It happened. The tomb split open. Many people saw. These things, folks, like I said yesterday, these things spread very quick in Jewish communities. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, the church is starting to be scattered. You know, great victory. You know, Saul has come to become Paul now. Things are happening. But the persecution starts to increase. And here's Jewish believers ready to go back. They're in, in their intense persecution. Their, their, their land is being seized. Persecution is going on. It's mounting. And some are thinking about going back. And I've seen this happen before. You know, I, I won't not mention names. It's, it's not right to do that. But my wife and I went to a church, and we were preaching, and, and uh pastor was a great guy, great anointing, you know, and had a large tent, traveled all around North America. And... Uh, we go back to the church a year later, the guy's gone. And the pastor sits me down in his office and tells me this story. You know, and so I'll just mention just the part of it. A friend of mine was his crusade director and says he had this big tent set up, you know, and people were coming and the glory of God was showing up every night. And he said, this is the last night I ever worked for so-and-so. And I said, well, what happened? I said, what, how come you didn't see red flags down the road? He goes, well, I saw them, but the glory was so strong in the meetings, I couldn't, it was hard for me to, you know, differentiate between the two. And he says, that the man pulled up in his Corvette, got out of his Corvette, this evangelist, was totally drunk on bourbon. They had a hot dog stand out there and outside the tent, you know, concession stand. The guy goes, hey, Brother Steve, give me a hot dog. Chomped on it, got mustard all over his suit, starts cussing, you know. Wipes it off like this. The minute he goes up on the stage as the worship ends, Steve says, as soon as this man stepped on the stage, he went instantly sober. He stepped up into his gift. The gift went in operation. He said the glory of God fell on That week they had a girl who was in a wheelchair, with spina bifida, or I'm not sure what the, the name of it is. It's all twisted. Pulled her out, instantly healed. He says, I saw it. I was the usher. I saw it. As soon as the service is over, the guy steps outside the tent. He goes back in a drunken state, gets in his Corvette and drives off. He goes, that's the last time I, I ever worked for that man. Later, shacks up with Miss Texas. He's now an alcoholic, 
addicted to crack cocaine and dying of skin cancer right now. And so Dalit was doing a women's conference at this church. And Dalit was coming back, you know, and she heard the stories and, you know, having to salvage the people and try to tell them, you know, stay strong with the Lord. So Dalit's driving home and she's going, Lord, how could this happen? And the Lord spoke to her and says, there'll be many in that day will say, Lord, that you may not cast out devils in your name, prophesy, do many mighty works. And I'll say to them, I never knew you. And she said, well, how could it be that he could operate and not know you? And she didn't understand. And then she heard the gentle voice say, he knew me, he knew how to operate in that anointing, but he never allowed me to know him intimately. Wow. That's what these mean. What you said yesterday is right on. The tenderness of staying to know him. I think of Elijah, raised the widow's son from the dead, prophesied drought, prophesied the rain, saw the rain coming the size of a man's fist. Spirit of God came on him, he outran the king's finest Lexus and BMW 7 Series, hallelujah, for 15 kilometers. Called fire down from heaven upon the prophets of Baal. Yet when Jezebel's rhetoric got risen up, he ran up to Sinai. And God was not in the earthquake. God was not in the, the fire or the tempest. God was in what? The still, small voice. Elijah, what are you doing here? And I began to go through my own heart, folks, this last three years since we've seen you. I mean, I love it. Hallelujah. Just putting ourselves on the cutting block all the time. Hallelujah. Saying, Lord, Lord, do a work. Do a work deep within, Father. I want to stand before you and you say, well done, good and faithful. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You are faithful and little. And so Dalit told me this what the Lord spoke to her. I said, wow, this is crap. And so I began to pray. And as I was praying, I had a vision of this evangelist. I had a vision of him in a hotel room. Number one, he never traveled with his family. First mistake. I mean, a lot of times you can't do it logistically, but let me tell you something. He made a purpose never to travel with his family. Number two, he was independent. Nobody spoke into his life. Nobody. Nobody looked into the finances. Come on, folks. And number three, I saw him on the bed after a service, had a good meeting that night, sitting back and start going for the TV. And he hit a station. And the Holy Spirit would say to him, don't watch that. And he'd turn it off right away. But then he became spiritually bored. He didn't have the hunger to keep pressing into God. So we go into a place of spiritual boredom, get bored, start watching again. Had a consciousness of sin that he should be watching things. Get up on the stage the next night and the glory would get fall. I thought, wow, maybe it's okay to kind of not be disciplined in this area. And slowly, by slowly, he began to get harder and harder, and harder, and harder. So brothers and sisters, to him that thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. So it goes on here, verse 32. 
I will say the good news. Um, I just found out that this dear brother is now trying to re-reconcile with his wife and in AA and trying to get back, you know. So that's good. Praise God. I mean, praise God he didn't totally become a reprobate. And he came back to a couple of, he told a couple of friends of mine, he said, when the money wasn't coming in, because, you know, people can start to sense hypocrisy, you know, um, and they began to get in a lot of debt. He told everybody in his staff, I think he had about seven staff people, I want everybody in the staff to get, take out as many credit cards as you can in your name. And what they had is a credit card machine and two shoeboxes. So here's one shoebox, and when the bills would come in, they would run all the credit cards, float about $20,000, pay off the bills. And then when all the statements came in, they'd take the next box of credit cards, this is illegal, by the way, and start paying off all the bills with the credit cards. And floated all this money, and then when everything just fell out, I have friends with, you know, still working full-time jobs now that are, have ministry calls still trying to pay off the debt. Can you imagine being in ministry and trying to pay off a $70,000 credit card debt? Brothers and sisters, something wrong. Come on, how do, come on. Something is wrong right now. There's a spirit of error and a spirit of truth in operation. You know, a friend of ours told us that she has, her personal friend works in California in a hotel conference center. And it was a large Pentecostal conference, all the leaders, worldwide conference, running out the entire conference center and the hotel. Over 500 ministers and their wives. At the end of that week, our friend told us it was the largest rental of bad movies of the entire year of that hotel. And you say, well, where's the glory? It's God's mercy. The glory hasn't come yet. You know, and I, I don't want to be quiet about this, you know. I mean, we have to recognize it, amen? Yeah. We have to deal with some issues, amen? Yeah. Come on, folks. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's real healthy just to cut off the TV for a while. Yeah. Amen? I think it's a great thing just to fast from TV. Glory to God. Spend more time with your family. Spend more time praying. Okay, moving right along. Verse 32. <laughs> oh, yeah, we can do a lot. Remember, we get about 500 people giving, you know, say $40 a month, cancel a subscription, send it to the church. It's pretty good, isn't it, Jim? Hell yeah. Remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of sufferings. Verse 33, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches, tribulations, probably becoming sharers of those who were so treated, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Oh! I'm just pausing. I just sense like the Lord's starting to want to break through this morning. We'll just keep on going here. 34. You showed sympathy to the prisoners, accepted joy for the seizure of your property, knowing that you yourselves have a better possession and abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. When you have the need of endurance, that you may have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. What is the promise here? Verse 37, for yet in a very little while, 
He who is coming will come and not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Here's these Jewish believers under severe persecution. And what, whoever's the writer here, whether it be Paul or whoever of Hebrews, is saying here to get them encouraged, to hang on. What is the promise? This is called Midrashic teaching. When, a, when Paul or one of the writers of the Bible quotes just one or two verses from the Old Testament, the Jewish people have it memorized. They would memorize, they know exactly what he's talking about. The promise here is not Jesus' return yet. The promise is the visitation of the glory of God. Hallelujah. And those that shrink back from this visitation, my soul have no pleasure in him. We are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to persecute your soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's talk about this now, faith. They didn't have Brother Higgins back then, okay? Faith is a very foreign concept in the Old Testament. It's works righteousness mainly. We have Abraham, who was the father, believed God, it was kind of to him the righteousness. We don't hear much more about faith up until Habakkuk. When Habakkuk says the just shall live by faith, which we read earlier, that is a new concept to the Jewish people. Yet that was the mustard seed that birthed the whole revelation of the New Testament. But it's in the context of the vision of the glory of God filling the earth as the waters covered the sea. So Hebrews 11, and I've never heard this taught before, being raised in Tulsa, I thank God for learning to walk by faith and believe God for healing and for our needs and et cetera, et cetera. Amen? What about faith for the glory now? Because the whole message, of, you can't rip out the just shall live by faith and not talk about the context. And you can't sew it on as a patch under something else. Faith is centered with running with the vision. Oh! And the vision is the glory. So we can read it this way. Now faith, for the revelation of running with the vision, of the glory of God filling the earth as the waters cover the sea, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it men of old gained approval. Look at verse 6, by faith Enoch was taken up. Verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. Meaning, without trust and running this race and going through correction, hallelujah, and waiting for the glory of God to visit, we can't please him. We'll shrink back. And you know why we shrink back? Those who do evil will not come to the light lest their, de their deeds be exposed. I've been asking the Lord, what is, what is the judgment that begins in the church? I believe it's found in John 3. Let me just read it to you while you're just writing stuff down here. I know people are writing pretty quick here. We all quote John 3:16, God so loved the world. John 3:19, however, says, This is the judgment that light is coming to the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. So could it be that the judgment that's beginning in the house of God first is God showing down the light. God is showing down the glory of God upon us in this hour and exposing everything about us. Which is good. I like it. As John said, being transparent. For everyone who does evil hates the light and has not come to the light lest his deeds be exposed. 
But he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifested as being wrought in God. Hallelujah. Moses came off the mountain, his face was shining. What did they say? Put a veil on there, quick. We're uncomfortable with the light. So we're calling for the glory down. Are you really want the glory? Well, we might as well. Hallelujah. This is go for it. Hallelujah. We've come too far to stop. I mean, let's just go for it. Psalms 90, verse 8, it said, Moses says, Reveal our secret sins in the light of your presence. I'll keep on reading here in Hebrews, just a Hebrews 11:13 if you're still there. All these died in faith without receiving the promise. See, everything in the Old Testament moves toward the visitation of the glory of God upon planet Earth. Having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. When you get caught up in the glory and you get touched by his glory, this earth is not your home anymore. You're just a resident alien with a green card. That's why we're groaning inside these tabernacles, aren't we? To be clothed from above. That's our home up there. Hallelujah. We carry within us, oh, this groaning. All creation has this groaning. Because the, all creation is going through the thousands of decay, waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. Oh! It goes on and says here, verse 26, considering the reproaches of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, he was looking to the reward. Verse 39, all these having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Why didn't they receive what was promised? Well, Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now that we're put into right position with Jesus as believers, by his blood being reconciled, we now have the ability to walk with him and him to walk in us. Hello, mobile tabernacles. Whew. With the same thought of running with the vision, chapter 12 kicks in now, which is the climax of the entire thing. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance. Where's the word run again to the Jewish mind? It's a back of two. Write down the vision that you may run. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who from the joy set before endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Why is there such hostility when the glory comes? Why do people get so mad about the truth? Well, let's just deal with Ephesians 4 while we're here. Turn over to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 25. 
I'll wait for a moment for everybody to get to that. Ephesians 4 and verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. You ever walk in a room with a brother and sister and you just feel like, you know what I'm saying, you just feel like, man, what? You know what I'm saying? Or you've been talking about that person and you come around them, you kind of start feeling a little bad, you know, convicted. Or they've been talking about you and you, they see you in the, in the mall or the shopping, you know. Come on. We just might as well just open it up and say, you know what? What's the rub, bub? I mean, what's the problem here? Let's just deal with it. We're brothers and sisters. We're going to be spending eternity together. Come on. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Look at this. Speak the truth with each of you. For your members, be angry and do not sin. Meaning when you hear the truth, you're going to get inflamed with anger. I remember Dalit was, um, we were driving down the road and five kids in our suburban going to the next meeting, driving across country. And Dalit's praying. She goes, she turns to me and says, I know what your problem is. I said, what? I got a problem? What are you talking about? You know, you go to Israel, you understand how Israelis are, you know. <laughs> you think a fight's breaking out in the street, they're just neighbors talking, you know. <laughs> I'm telling you, folks. <laughs> Steve told me, Steve Solomon said that he brought a tour and his little daughter was with him. And, you know, trying to get on the buses in Israel, you have all these little old ladies throwing elbows, you know. And you, I mean, it's just, it's a normal thing in Israel. And uh, she stood up on the bus, and people were so rude to her, and she stood up and says, When I came, before I came here, I was a nice person. You ruined me. (laughs) (laughs) So it's one of those events in the car. You all know parents, the kids are screaming. They want to stop at every McDonald's they see. You're going driving down the road. Everybody's yelling. Come on, come on, folks. I'm sure it doesn't happen to you, right? <laughs> Dolly goes, I know what your problem is. Said, what are you talking about? She says, you preach about the gold, the girls, and the glory. That's the three problems. Or for, you know, girls, the gold, the guys, the glory, right? And she said, I know you. She goes, I know that you'll never leave me for another woman. I just know you're dead in that area. Yeah. I know you don't have a problem with the gold. I just know it. But I know what your problem is. It's the glory. Sometimes you want people to like you, so you'll say nice things. And it was the truth, but it burned as I swallowed it, folks. Oh, speak the truth. Don't be angry in sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. So when we speak the truth, it could be a flashpoint for greater unity or a flashpoint for more strife. Whew. 
Boy, we can just camp out there for a while. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Ooh, hallelujah. The glory of God. Let's go back to Habakkuk as we begin to wind up here. On your way back to Habakkuk, stop at John. Chapter 5. And verse 41. John 5, 41. Hmm. About touching the glory. Maybe your problem has been the flesh or the pride of money. I don't know. But with me, I'm just being dismantled. Hallelujah. I haven't been able to send out a newsletter for a long time this year. Because when I get writing it, I just feel like I drop down a couple of notches of the glory in my heart. You know what I'm saying? Because God's doing something different, folks. Amen? When we wrote our book out there, and the person publishing it said, Scott, we finish up the book. This is going to be awesome, you know. The lady there, she, um, she translates many of the, uh, edits many of the books in Tulsa. Just, I haven't read a book like this in 10 years, man. It just, something happened to me and my daughter when we read this thing. And so I'm going, praise God, you know. And so the publisher writes us up and says, you know, Scott, can you send us a, a biography so we can put your name and a picture in the back and what you've done, this and that. And I says, I don't want to. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, um, I get kind of nauseated. I turn the back of a cover, a lot of Christian books, and says, you know, I've got, you know, worldwide television speaker and radio announcer and started churches and mass crusades and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but Paul said... I boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may come on me. 2 Corinthians 12 says, Paul says, I boast about my weaknesses that the glory of God may enshrine itself in my mortal body. But the problem we're doing is we're boasting about our strengths. I know there's a balance to all this. And so I tell the dear brother, you know what? I don't want to write anything. Because what? That's what? Nobody knows who you are. I says, good. That's the way it should be. Hallelujah. I says, why can't I put on the back of the cover, you know, Scott and Dolly Holtz, they've had two church splits before when they used to pastor. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like kicking the dog. I got a speeding ticket in New Orleans trying to get to a revival meeting on time. I mean, come on. <laughs> and so we reached a compromise. I said, okay, I'll put down, we, we account all this biographical info um, as rubbish. <laughs> we put it there in the back of the book. <laughs> but you understand my heart, okay? I, because I feel like there's just too much of us. In verse 41, I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not love, have the love of God in yourselves. Verse 44, how can you believe or have faith when you receive glory and honor from one another and do not seek the glory that's from the one and only God? How can we operate in this faith for the glory when we just want to operate? I know there's a balance, folks. Just 
Sometimes when you get off the side of the road, you have to overcorrect to get back on the pavement. But I really believe. I was in Boca Raton, Florida, at a congregation, and a, and a lady came forward, and she began to share with us, and she says, I, I'm, a, I'm a nurse, a private nurse. I, I take care of this lady that's in a wheelchair. She was born with all these different um, problems, and she's beginning to, to, to die away, and she's 35 years old, and she's a believer. Can you come and pray for her in the wheelchair? I said, sure. So the pastor and I went to, to this um, place, and it was so sad because here's this lady who loves Jesus in the prison camp of this body. And she hadn't been able to move her legs for 15 years, her arms, she had one use of one arm now, and she was slowly, you know, just dying. And her family just had gotten tired and worn out taking care of her. And so we walked in, and, and I just thought, well, let's turn on the praise music. So we put on some music over there, a little boom box by her bed, and you begin to feel God's presence, we begin to worship, you know, and she's like, uh, you know, trying to worship God. It was just precious, you know. And the Lord says, run around her wheelchair. And so I begin to run around her wheelchair. And as I'm running in the wheelchair, I just sense like the helium anointing fall in the room. And she starts struggling. And I look over as I'm running around her wheelchair, and the nurse is going, oh, thank you, Jesus. She starts to push herself out of the wheelchair. The first time in 15 years she was able to move her left arm. First time in 15 years all her legs atrophied are now starting to move. She's starting to get up out of the wheelchair. And the pastor's going, glory to God. Oh, come on, honey, you can do it. Come on. And I'm just running around the wheelchair, and I thought, this thought, and it's not because I had evil intentions, it's because I've been in this environment of Christendom of North America. I said, man, this will be an awesome testimony for the newsletter. And she fell back in the wheelchair, and for the next hour and a half, we tried to get her out. And we walked out, and the pastor goes, I can't figure it out, man. It's like just a, our heaven, it's like the heavens shut up like bronze. Just something, just nothing happened. I didn't tell the pastor, because I didn't have a revelation of the truth back then. I should have told him, I quenched the spirit, brother. It wasn't that God wanted her to get blessed and then torment her and not heal her. I shut it down. You know, there's a lot of things that we could talk about today, but I think we just keep it real simple, Scott. K-I-S-S. Hallelujah. Let's let the Lord cut us open from sternum to belly button. Hallelujah. CAT scan, MRI of the Holy Ghost, and reveal anything that would keep us from going forward in this hour. Let's go back to Habakkuk as we conclude. Oh! Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Verse 20, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet according to the Shiginoth. Shiginoth or Shagina is the Hebrew word for mental illness. Somebody who's crazy is called Meshuggah. 
Now, when the prophet understands what's about to happen, he goes off into the most incredible emotional psalm here, not of mental illness, but of going out of your mind in craziness for God. And he says, Lord, I've heard the report about thee and I fear. Oh, Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. There's only two places the word revival is mentioned in the Bible. It's Hosea chapter 6 and right here. Hallelujah. Revive us after the third day that we may know you. And right here. In the midst of the impending, he's hearing the Nebuchadnezzar coming. You didn't understand, folks. There was no prisoners of war, so to speak. There was no Geneva peace treaty when this army came up. They came in to holocaust the place. There'd be the point where the women would, ha- the people would have to, they would, they would, there was no more food left. They would eat the placenta of the babies that were born in the city. Can you imagine that? Having to sit there and wait for the enemy to invi- invade you. And he goes into this place of waiting upon the Lord. The Lord begins to reveal to him what's about to happen. And he's crying out, in the midst of years, make it known, in wrath and remembrance, God comes from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, think about it. His splendor covers the heavens. The earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand, and there is the hiding place of his power. That's what the demons knew. That's what they saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. It says in verse 11, sun and moon stood in their places. They went away at the light of thine arrows, at the radiance of thy gleaming spirit. Oh! Verse 16, I heard my inward parts trembled. At the sound of my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones. In my place I trembled. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise to invade us. Though the fig tree will not blossom, there will be no fruit in the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail, the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, there will be no cattle in the stall. Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. There's something about when you get a revelation of the glory of God, it doesn't matter what happens to your life. Hallelujah. You'll go all the way. Amen? This is the secret Paul knew of abounding and abasing. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. When you get touched up in the glory, folks, you know how to live. Everything in life now is a central theme. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 25. I know I said one more scripture, but it's okay. I keep on getting these emails downloaded when I'm talking, so I have to keep on going here. Whoa! Is the, uh, Exodus 24 and verse 10. And they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. They beheld God, they ate and drank. Verse 15, then Moses went up to the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. Notice it was when Moses drew near, that's when the cloud covered the mountain. We draw near to God, he draws near to us. And the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses in the midst of the cloud. That's why you need extended meetings. Sometimes it takes six days just to get changed and transformed and renewed in your mind to ramp up, to prepare for the new thing. Six days in the cloud, the seventh day God spoke. 
And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. And Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Hallelujah. How many people would like an experience like that? You know, it's directly related to finances. Look at Exodus 25.1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. The first thing God asked for was not the Ten Commandments. First thing he asked for was take up an offering. Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me from every man whose heart moves him. You shall raise my contribution. This is the contribution you to raise gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet material, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, porpoise skins, don't tell the environmentalist, oil for lighting, spice, spices for oil and oil, fragrant incense, and let them construct a sanctuary for them. I may dwell among them. Oh, hallelujah. Oh. Picture yourself. Say your, your name is Joseph Finkelstein. <laughs> You're not a Levite, you're not a Cohen, you're not a priest, you're just a simple Amhara, it's a simple people of the land, okay? Your hands are all calloused, because you used to be a masonry, carving out the images of the gods of Egypt. You've come out of the land, you're loaded down with gold and silver, you have it all these precious, nice things of life have been given to you. You're in the desert, you see the cloud on top of the mountain, Moses goes up. Nobody knows what's going on with Moses right now. He's gone. And he's, his heart, he is so thankful to be out of the slavery of Egypt. His heart just loves God. He has some goats out there. He's walking there a few kilometers away from the mountain just looking. But by law, he cannot enter into the presence of God or even be a part of what's happening. It's a simple person. And then Moses comes off the mountain and says, look at verse 8, and we'll conclude. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. The word for dwell here is shachan in Hebrew. It's the same Hebrew word to dwell or live somewhere. Shachun in Hebrew is a housing project. And shachan is also the same word for neighbor. So God's saying, I'm coming off the mountain. I'm not going to be an exclusive, you know, presidential club only. Only certain members can get in. I am coming down, and I'm going to dwell as close to you as a neighbor. And that's the same Hebrew word for the Shekinah glory. Shekhan is the same word, Shekhinah. And so Joseph Finkelstein goes bananas. He tells his wife, did you hear that? God is coming off the mountain. His Shekhinah glory is going to be as close to us as a neighbor in a housing project. Quick! We need to change the neighbors. No, quick! Get all you can, the best things. Receive an offering. Here we go, folks. Verse 22. There, I will meet with you. Hmm. How many people want God to meet with them? 
I'm getting another scripture here. 2 Corinthians 12. My purpose this morning, the Lord spoke to me when I woke up. He says, I just want you to teach in the glory. Just teach, just scriptures. Get scriptures out there. I'll produce faith on that. If your body's a little tired, just help to shut up. Hallelujah. Oh! Folks, I don't know about you, but as a kid raised in a synagogue, I remember the first time I experienced the glory of God. My father, my father, I, I may have shared this when I was here before, but uh, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Uh, my father was from Brooklyn, New York, and we lived in Tulsa. It's about like an American living in Saudi Arabia. Man, it is like night and day difference. My father was a test pilot in the Air Force, and he used the Air Force to pay his way through law school, then quickly quit the Air Force. And, and my father says, son, always remember this, never work for the government. And why, Dad? You'll never make more money than the president. Oh, okay. Whatever you say, Dad. Because <laughs> the president's the highest-paid, you know, government official. So my father starts this law practice, and he begins to represent a lot of people on the shady side of life. And uh, my father's hobby when we were being raised, and I didn't know anything about Tulsa, that it was the Mecca, so to speak, of a lot of things going on in Christendom. I can use that word. But I do know this that every Sunday my father would go to the Jewish deli, get locks and bagels, and we would sit down, and he would thumb through the TV set, and Oral Roberts would be on every Sunday morning with a healing campaign. And my father would sit there and take notes and say, you see that, son? What, Dad? They just paid that lady to say that. That's not real. Oh, okay, Dad. My father was the biggest thorn in the flesh with Oral Roberts University. In his spare time was not woodworking or fishing or hunting or taking me out to play baseball. He was trying to figure out how to bring Oral Roberts University down. Our best friend down the street, Paul Poland, a Jewish man, was running for the mayor of Tulsa. His daughter had just got born again through Jews for Jesus. And he and my father had sent Jews for Jesus into a multi-million year multi-million dollar 10-year court battle saying that Jews for Jesus brainwashed Mr. Poland's daughter. So I wasn't raised in a Christian home, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And I remember the first time the movie Ten Commandments came out and my father, he says, son, I'm going to take you to the show. Great, Dad. So we went out there and we're eating popcorn together. He says, son, I'm going to show you why we do not believe that God would come in the forum, and he used the cuss word about Jesus. Oh, whatever you say, Dad. So we sat down and watched this. And I remember the part where Moses, excuse me, Charlton Heston comes up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that part where he's the burning bush, you know? Moses. Moses. Man, every hair follicle, I mean, every peach fuzz follicle just stood up. <laughs> And I felt the glory of God come down on me. And you know, I carried that touch. Even though, you know, all the stuff that went on in life, I always had that touch inside of me. And when the synagogue would go on, you know, and the high holidays, they'd pull out the Torah scroll, you know, and everybody walked by and kissed the Torah, you know, with their Siddur. But what happened is that they'd go back there and put the Torah scroll back inside the ark. And I wanted to, when everybody left, I wanted to sneak back back there where nobody could go, where the rabbi, except the rabbi, 
And I want to open up and see if God lived inside of a box. So I remember um, the next time I got touched by the glory, I was um, 12 years old. I was training for bar mitzvah, studying a language that read, you know, from <laughs> right to left. It was just strange. I just want to go out and play sports and soccer with my friends, and here I'm studying Hebrew. But what my mind is the big bar mitzvah gift checks, okay? If I can just memorize a few of these prayers <laughs> and this reading, man, I'm going to get a lot of moolah here. Yeah. <laughs> and I was walking down... The, Harry Sebring's office, the cantor, and right there in front of me was the sculpture of the burning bush. I've been there for years, but this time the bush was not burning. It had light bulbs on it. And it was like, you know, Sister Cohen gave $500, her light would be turned on. If she didn't give the building fund the next month, her light was turned off to remind her that she needed to be giving. <laughs> I was just, you know, walking down the hall, and I just stopped, and I said, I just thought to myself, how could a bush burn and not be consumed? Yeah. And for the second time in my life, I felt the glory come down on me. And it deposited from glory to glory, from faith to faith. How about this one? From freedom to freedom. Each time we come into his presence, there's a more revelation of freedom. There's, is it okay if a few more scriptures here? Come on, look, look at 2 Corinthians 3. Whew, hallelujah. You know, I, you can, I can take you to a synagogue today and you, you could go there and the cantor will get up and go, and you'll feel the glory of God start coming down. <laughs> I'm serious, you'll feel the glory. you go, oh, wow, God's here. Well, there is a glory on the letter. There is a glory. Psalms 136, 133 is what I was singing. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers that dwell together in unity. And so there is a glory on the letter. And that's the problem with a lot of the Messianic Judaism is that believers feel the glory and they start incorporating things out of synagogue into church services and they quench the whole move of God. What they're doing is they're taking rabbinical things that are not even biblical and trying to incorporate it because they have a heart for Jewish people, they have a heart to understand the roots of our faith, and they skew off, they become Judaizers to the biggest sense, legalistic, and the reason why is because most of Judaism today is post-New Testament. When the temple was destroyed, we don't have any more sacrificial system. There's no communal center for people to come and meet at now. Synagogues developed, and they, what, they, what they developed was called the Talmud, which is the oral law. The oral law is all these interpretations around the law to keep from breaking the law. And so that's where the, in the 10th century, Mahdanis came up and says, he changed the Shema Yisrael, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. He changed it from Echad to Yahi, which means absolute oneness. Before, the original Hebrew means it's plurality of oneness. Husband and wife, they became one. It's a plurality, but a oneness. So they 
you know, Elohim is the plurality of God, the Trinity right there. But they started taking things that countered missionaries coming in during the Middle Ages. And they just, basically what we have today, the, the religion, what we have today of Judaism is the, re, is the religion of the rabbis who rejected the claims of Jesus. And so we have people taking up services, you know, and I'm not sure if it happens out here, but, you know, on Friday night, these ladies will get to, you know, put a little prayer shawl on their head, and they'll begin to pray over the lights, you know, inviting, you know, saying a rabbinical prayer. They don't even know what they're saying, really. What they're doing is they're inviting in the queen of the Sabbath, Jezebel herself. Oh, yeah. There's, you'd be surprised what goes on. And so what I'm trying to say to you is that we can't go, we thank God for the past glories, but we can't camp around these past glories. We've got to keep moving on. The same thing happens in the church now. We can camp around Azusa Street and miss, miss, this, miss this next move of God. I mean, we got to, you understand? Whoa! Verse 17 to chapter 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Or as Dalit was prophesying yesterday morning on the tape, where Jesus is your Lord, there is liberty. Where the Spirit is allowed lordship, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The more we allow the Spirit to move free among us, the more we're going to be transformed from glory to glory. Therefore, since we have this ministry, what ministry? The ministry of the glory. As we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. We have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God, but by the manifestation of the truth committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The manifestation of the truth. When you get in the glory, you'll become transparent, and you're going to manifest who you really are. Conscious to conscience. You know what I mean? You're going to start having relationships where people know you and you know them. That's where the real brotherhood in the body of Christ is what it's all about. The Holy Ghost is a true serum. We can't move in this next level of glory unless there's truth. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We do not preach ourselves. That's the problem right there. We're preaching ourselves too much. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light, shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light, here it is, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The treasure we have in these earthen vessels is the intimate knowledge of the glory realm. And Paul says this event is as spectacular and powerful as when God created the earth, Genesis 1-2, and says, light be, and everything began. When he's shown into our hearts, it was the same thing. That's how he made the new creation. He's spoken to us. But we can't stop there. We've got to keep moving forward each day, get to know him more and more more and more intimately. Amen?
That's the treasure we have in these earthen vessels. Verse 4, However, the God of this world has blinded the minds that they may not see the light of the glory. I stood in your pulpit three years ago, and the Lord spoke to me out of a little book called The Linguistic Key to the Greek New Testament. A little red book I used to carry with me. They didn't bring it this trip. And I was studying one of the services, the 13 weeks we were here, and I saw exactly how the enemy blinds the minds of not just the world, but God's people from the light. I always thought, how can the enemy blind people's minds from the light? When you turn on the light, the darkness leaves right away. How can darkness overcome light? It can't. This is how the enemy blinds people's minds. First of all, in whose case the God of this world? The, the word world there is actually the Greek word age. He's not the owner of this planet. He's not the ruler of this planet. God owns this planet. He's the God of this age. Now the word age in Greek from the linguistic key means this. The floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, aspirations of self, anytime current in the world. I'll repeat that. This is how he blinds us from the glory realm as he gets our eyes on ourself. He's the God of this floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations. That's why talk radio is so popular right now. Everybody's speculating about this. Impulses, aims, and the last one, aspirations of self. When we get our minds full of self, it's the anti-message of the cross. Die to self. That's it, right there. What's more, okay. He's the God of this age, the floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, impulses, aims, and aspirations of self anytime current in the world. We can conclude with that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. International, listening to our message today to you. 
Perhaps you have a friend, perhaps yourself are sitting there and wondering, where would I go if I died today? We'd like to give you a great privilege of praying with us and leading you to a knowledge of Jesus the Messiah. The Bible says if any man or woman would call upon the name of Jesus, they would be saved. The Greek word for saved is healed, delivered. It's a wonderful promise. You're there now in your automobile, perhaps at home listening. Go ahead and pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. The Bible says if anybody would call upon your name, they would be saved. I'm calling today, Lord, save me, forgive me, cleanse me, take all of my sins and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Father, I'm coming running home to you now. In your name I pray, amen. If you'd like to contact us in our ministry, You may do so by writing us at Rivers in the Desert, P.O. Box 2788 in Alpharetta, Georgia, 30023 in the United States of America. Our ministry phone number is 770-777-0143. Of course, you can reach us anytime, 24-7, at our website contact page at www.flashfloods.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. We are here to help equip you to be tactical warriors in this hour, to wake up this church, to win and disciple lost souls, and to take out terrorism of all forms. God bless you. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Shalom, shalom.